Welcome to Susie Petrozzi's Empowered Conversations. With over 20 years of experience as a clinical psychologist, Susie is an expert at taking people on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery. Join Susie as she talks to remarkable people who share their insights and lessons for living a purpose-driven life to inspire you in your own journey. I'm excited and really honoured to introduce my next guest, Patricia Tiemann. Patricia is um, somebody that I've known for some time and comes highly recommended to me as a guest speaker for today's Empowered Conversation. She lives in Sydney's Inner West and I wanted to speak to Patricia about her journey as someone who's worked as a nurse for over 46 years, no longer active in nursing. But what I can tell you about Patricia is that she's incredibly active in life. Um, Patricia, welcome and thank you for agreeing to have this conversation with me today. It's a pleasure, Susie. Um, How old are you? I'm 84. 84. And Patricia, you're incredibly active, yeah? Yes, I am. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, well, I come and visit your husband, John, who's been a great help to me. Um, when I arrive on a Monday, I've already walked from Roseville to Leichhardt. It's about five kilometres return. Um, I live alone. I cook a lot, do gardening, and I walk at least four k's every day. One of the things that we were talking, so before we started recording, is um, you said that you can go from A to B, you can change and adapt very easily and quickly. Yeah, yes, okay. I mean, have you always been like that? Well, I went nursing at 16 and I think that's where I learned it you know, because you just, in those days it wasn't, uh, I left school at 15 and when I went to work, it was in an office and it was very, uh, I did what I was told there. But when we went nursing, we certainly did what I was told. But we could be switched from one spot to another and you just went. And uh, I guess over the years, you just cope with whatever happened at the time, particularly when you worked in departments like emergency department and things. So you just mm. dealt with what was the most urgent thing. Mm. Same as on the ward, who was ever the sickest patient, you could be looking after them, but if somebody else called, you would quickly have to adapt. Mm. Essentially, you had to adapt to just some on people, the spot. And, adapt and, to people and yeah. their needs, whatever it was. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about your journey? Even if we go, so I, I'm, I'm really interesting for you to share more about your nursing, but. Let's go to your family background a little bit. Like you were one of how many kids? I was one of four. I had three brothers. I was the only one with straight hair in the family. <laughs> brothers had beautiful curls and I didn't. We were, I guess, relatively poor, but we didn't know it. Our families, everybody in the street was the same. There were lots of families with big families and we played in the street before these different um, children. Uh, my three brothers and I went to a Catholic school, apart from one other family that went to a Catholic school, the other children went to the public school. It was only when we had a fight we would taunt one another about being a Catholic or a pu- public. 
But life was very simple. Mm. Uh, even our eating style was very much the same back in the late 30s and 40s. Uh, we didn't have a lot of wealth, but we didn't miss it. And uh, if we saw another child with a bike at Christmas, we were happy for them because they would give us a ride on their bike or their scooter. Uh, they kept giving me dolls, but I wanted the boys' toys. Uh-huh. <laughs> they particularly like the girls' things. But yeah. uh, life was happy, but we just went to school. We didn't have a lot of clothes. We had um, our Sunday best for going to church. We had something to go out in. But as soon as we came home, we had to get play changed into our clothes. clothes. Mm. And uh, it was during the war. And a lot of things were short. Because mm, mm, that was and, that time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, rationing and things. But, uh, we had a happy life and yeah. uh, we worked well together. But uh, being the only girl. Were uh, you the oldest, Patricia? No, I had an older brother. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it was me and then my two younger brothers. And um, But in those days the girls were expected to do the dishes and things, but the boys weren't. <laughs> and uh, how did that go down? The boys most of the time. And uh, so, hang on, how how did that go down in your family? <laughs> well, it was just expected at the moment. I thought it was a bit something wrong with it at this time, but I didn't get away with it. But uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So during the war, we played a lot of war games, and I always had to be the Jap, <laughs> my brothers, the, the goodies, and right. Uh, and, you know, they did all sorts of terrible things to me, but I survived. But, yeah, uh, you survived the the rough and tumble. The, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, and then at the age of sixteen, did you? You know, you you were in high school, but then you no, I left at fifteen. You left at fifteen. Okay, and you decided to pursue nursing. I always wanted to be a nurse, and I'm not sure why. But uh, the neighbours used to go crook because if the children came to my place, I'd play hospitals and I'd wrap them up in rags and they'd go home and the mothers would think there was something wrong with them. <laughs> well, you and did I, a brilliant job. <laughs> and uh, I knew I always wanted to be a nurse for some strange reason because mm. I went to a small school at Lyakard, a Catholic school, St. Fiagas. All my other friends from school, they weren't big classes, but they were all going into office work or going on to study shorthand and typing. The sisters taught me typing, but I just wouldn't do the shorthand. Um, Then I went to Anthony Horton's and worked for 12 months. And one day it got the better of me and I just rang in a hospital because I knew they wanted nurses and... uh, I had to go home and convince my family. My father was against it, but my mother supported it. What did he want you to do? Oh, he said I wouldn't make a nurse's boot lace. He thought I was too lazy or something like that. And uh, (laughs) then I went and uh, they accepted me. Well, I didn't know if I'd have had two heads and could have hidden one, they would have accepted me, but I was quite impressed. Wow, yeah. yeah. And uh, then I started the 
about 15 and a half, about four months before I turned 16. And um, I um, had to live in the hospital and had to share a room with someone. It was this young 16-year-old from a Catholic school find myself in the room with somebody else and they came home late and they were smoking with a cigarette holder. I was terrified of this person in the room with me. Yeah, yeah, wow, and that would have been... the next morning I was just shown how to get dressed in a uniform and went down to a ward and just got put into a ward as a nurse. That was it? That was the that training? Was the first thing. Wow, that's oh. incredible. And you were, were you 16 or 15 at the time? 16. 16. I'd worked at Anthony Horton's for 12 okay. months and they wanted me to learn the contometers and I said, no, there's somebody else, I'm going to be a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> I was determined. You were very determined and very clear on what you wanted to do. And then, so when you, okay, so then how did you progress? Tell me a little bit about. Well, the first thing that happened, I just got attached to another first year nurse and went and helped with whatever that person did. And, um, you know, I was given lots of animus and laying out bodies, which is terrible with nurses used to have to do all that, and mm. fairly complex. And um, after about six months, I went into what they call the preliminary training school. And I went in with a group that were a little bit ahead of me. You know, we started at different times. We didn't all start on the one day. Mm. And that's when we did our first lectures. And then throughout the four years, it didn't matter when lectures were on, if you were on night duty, you had to get up in the middle of the day and go to the lectures. Mm. We didn't have block lectures, so we just fitted all that in. Yeah, uh, wow. If we were on our days off, we had to go back for the lectures. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was probably the next best thing to be in the convent, then lived in and they would do board Room rounds to make sure we didn't have any alcohol or anything like that in our rooms and make mm. sure we'd made our beds and it was tidy and mm. things like that. So this was, what what year was this in? 1954. Uh, 50, okay, yeah. And uh, so then each year we had a cap with a, a, a little half circle cut out, one for one year until it went got up to fourth year. We just sort of all lived together and uh, it was probably the best psychotherapy we'd ever had because we'd be in trouble all day at work <laughs> uh, because we'd get into trouble for something, not doing something properly. And uh, mm. when we came off, we'd all sit down and laugh about it until we all got over thinking somebody had picked on us. So it sounds like there was a real kind of, I suppose, strong bond that developed between. Oh, very strong between, bond yeah. because being a small hospital, for instance, as we progressed along, um, we used to work until nine o'clock at night from about eleven o'clock or mm. six o'clock in the morning until the afternoon. And, um, we would never leave anyone at the hospital because the nurses' home away from the hospital, but. We would go from our ward when we'd finished our work and help the other person if they were having a busy night. And wow. we'd all go back together and in the morning we'd all go to work together. You know, we just have to walk up to the hospital. And you were like, you were in your late 
teens still is this still part of the training or this is early 20s uh, the, uh, early part uh, when well, first year we used to have to live above the hospital wow uh, in a nursing home when we first went there and uh the hospital had a uh, double doors that used to just swing and then the switchboard used to face it. So if we stayed out too late, we used to have to wait till the system moved so we could creep past and creep up the steps. And, yeah, and uh, sometimes we'd go out and one person living in a different nursing home couldn't get in, so they'd come and sleep in our bed and then, you know, things like I remember wow. doing this once. We went out with a friend and then, when we got home, the other person in the room was sick and we didn't realise and the night sister kept coming up to check on her. So I used to have to get up and go to the toilet every time I heard the steps. So ah. we couldn't find two of us in the yeah, yeah, one yeah. end of the bed or we would have been in trouble. Wow. It sounds like, like just listening to you sharing that, sounds like times of hard work. Oh, very hard work, yeah. Adventures. And lots of fun. <laughs> lots of fun. Out of nothing. And yeah, it sounds like a good combination. And it was great. You know, we were leaving all the time, but mm. never did. You know. mm. So then, um, where did how did the Cree progress, and what was happening in your life as you were doing this? You know, you were in your early twenties. You um, you you finished training by now. Now you're working. Yeah, you're working full time. So you started off training in Balmain Hospital, yeah. and then where did, did you stay there for quite for a significant time? Uh, or I stayed there for the four years because if you left before four years, and you went anywhere else, if you went back nursing, you had to have time tacked onto you. Mm, you know, okay, so yeah, it wasn't easy to leave, but yep. um, I think only once I wanted to leave and. I raised out my resignation and put it in my pocket and someone gave it to the medical superintendent. <laughs> so you came close. And, well, I had to give it to the matron and he sent for me and he said, what's this? And I said, I'm leaving. And he tore it up. <laughs> the only time I got close to leaving. Oh, why did he tear it up? Because He said, you shouldn't leave. And was that a blessing in disguise? Oh, I probably wouldn't have left. I would have changed my life probably. <laughs> but uh, no, I really loved it. As, as difficult as it was mm. at times, mm. it was something I always wanted to really do. So you went on then to study or to specialise in midwifery? Well, I went and did midwifery and uh, I stayed on oh, for about three or four months and then I left for a little while because I um, had a friend who at that stage had married and uh, her family came from Melbourne and she was having a baby and she was having some problems. And her husband was a doctor and he used to do a locum for a GP in Leichhardt and so uh, they lived behind the premises of where the surgery was so she asked me would I do it for her so they could come back and take it. So I did that for a while, for about mm. four months. Mm. Mm. And then they came back and I, that's when I went out to Prince Henry Hospital for a while. I came back and settled in midf to midwifery for a long time. Mm -hmm. Wow. Was that most of your, most of your career or? Um, 
I suppose more in midwifery uh, was probably the biggest bulk because mm. that's what I really loved. Mm. And it was a small unit, had lots of responsibility and uh, often had to manage without the doctors getting there on time and things. So. Yeah. Patricia, you found yourself often from, you know, what you shared to me before, you sounds like you found yourself often in roles that involved um, kind of leadership roles and management roles, but it's not necessarily what you went for, what you wanted. How did that happen? How did that come about? I think it, um, I don't know how it came about. I was always very quiet and, you know, I wasn't somebody that stood out and said I wanted to be the leader. Mm. But somehow I, I guess it came about in midwifery because I found myself in really responsible roles. In fact, after three weeks after I'd finished midwifery, I was in night duty on my own with student nurses, you know, and that was pretty demanding. Mm. And I guess a lot of the doctors started to rely on me and, I just got a reputation of being. Mm. I had a reputation of being so calm. You had a uh, reputation of being what? Ha- so calm. Ah. Um, one of the obstetricians used to say, if they put a bomb under this place, that I'd be last out. Look around and say, okay, we better start rebuilding it. <laughs> when everybody else would be in a bit of a panic. Yeah. So, yeah. I just had the ability to. I think something I learned as a nurse, we were not allowed to show our emotions if we got upset about anything it was mm. crime. We had to be the one that had to be strong all the time. And yeah. So I imagine that had had its positive as well as maybe negative. Like I just wonder about, you know, about that being a psychologist, I think, you know, that can, that can have its both, right? It I can, think it has a lifeline. It has a lifelong. It's a yeah. Tell me about that. Because that's what I'm like. Uh huh. I can just keep a straight face and not let on. Uh, What's going on? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes I must feel cold because I don't share. And mm. Like if something happens, I just look at the situation and then I might might impact on me three weeks later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I realise that was. Bit tough or something, mm-hmm. but in that moment you can you just I can just cr- face whatever yeah, it is I've got yeah, to face. Yeah, mm. and I imagine Patricia, like over the years, you've just you've learned so much about people, about yourself through you know nursing because that was your that was your life really. Was, you know, we spend yeah. most of our time working. What were like the big kind of big takeaways, big highlights from from your career in terms of who you've become and the person that you are today? That's a bit of a tough question. Um, I guess I learned that I can always, I guess I'm the sort of person that when people are in trouble tend to come to me. I can probably solve other people's problems better than my own. But I guess I'm the sort of person that uh, somehow can't help myself trying to help doing something for other people. I guess after nursing I followed it up with being with St Vincent de Paul and ended up taking on lead roles that I hadn't looked for there. But it's just that uh, 
I guess I've always been able to appreciate my own luck and very good health. I'm a very um, glass half full person. Are you? I'm a born <laughs> optimist. Yeah. Uh-huh. You can always see the light yeah. at the end of the tunnel for some reason. Mm. We need we well we need to have people like that, I suppose. Not I suppose we definitely need to. How has this carried you in your own, you know, life? You're a single mum. Yes, um, my marriage didn't last for long. I got left with a baby. How did you manage that? Well, I went home to live with my parents, which was the only choice, maybe not the wisest, but uh, because we couldn't afford anything else. I yeah. got left with nothing. And, um, and I could always plan um, ahead. And I guess I always, um, I mean, I wanted to be a good mother as well as working. And so I guess at, at my expense sort of thing, I almost exhausted myself because there was no such thing as uh, allowances for single parents or anything like in those days. So I went straight back to work and it was probably the best thing I could have done because mm-hmm. I didn't have time to feel sorry for myself. Yeah. And working in the maternity unit, and Balmain wasn't a fancy suburb then. There were a lot of very people in terrible financial situations with very large families. And mm. one of the other big issues was that we didn't have the NTD for the RH negative factor. So we saw lots of women, or I saw lots mm-hmm. of women, might have had eight babies and probably one living. Wow. the babies didn't survive. And, um, so there were always people much needier than me. I didn't have time to think about. And I was always into trouble for worrying about people's social issues because we didn't have a social workers. We had an almanac hospital initially and eventually got social workers, but they didn't see, perceive the, the social history to be important. Some mm. people had terrible lives and there was no contraception. So you were both the you were you were the nurse, you were the social worker. You nurses it? took on so many different roles and I'm and you know, I'm sh- that's still probably the case even today. Physio, even physio and everything. We, yeah. we only had a limited number of people of any, you know, and so we did everything, yes. I think that having a distraction to you when life throws you something left field, that having a distraction like work to go to can can really help us pull through things. Did um and you and being a hard worker, being determined, wanting to be a good mother, but also giving one hundred percent of yourself, did you experience burnout? Did you know if you went like did you even know what that was at that time? <laughs> I don't think I did because I went through so many different issues and um, I remember my daughter was uh, just before she started school she got the measles and she got the encephalitis and mm, ended wow. up out of Prince Henry Hospital and uh, I still remember the trip in the ambulance with her because I was so nauseated and the ambulance stopped halfway there um, because there was an accident to help and I had to get out or I would have been sick in the ambulance but I got out there and when the paediatrician came to see her, I was a bit upset and this paediatrician came in and I knew him. 
And he just kind of said, well, you look, you're tough. You know, you know that she's sick, but she's going to be all right. Mm. You'll know what to do. And he sort of kind of gave me a bit of a pep talk and I kind mm. of snapped out of it. And mm. uh, it was things like that when I found it, it was difficult. Mm. But uh, I just had to get on with life. I didn't have any choice sort of thing. And uh, mm. then uh, at one stage my brother who ended up a priest, he um, had a terrible, he was involved in a terrible car accident. and. Um, Someone knocked on the door and I was about to take my daughter to a Christmas party but I had to leave her and I, they said to me, he's not too bad. And when I got down to the accident, they, there was a priest anointing him there and uh, I just got down alongside him and went in the ambulance to Balmain Hospital, which was a local hospital. They'd been hit by a um, coal truck. Um, wow, yeah. And his driver was very upset and... He sat in the front of the ambulance and uh, I got to the hospital and, of course, everyone knew me and uh, I was working on my brother and uh, he went to surgery and had a plate in his head and he, the bonnet had hit him in the stomach and his spleen was ruptured and it was very traumatic. But in those days they didn't want anyone to see him except me, you know, and... Mm. Uh, I remember that night sitting down, I had nylons on and picking the glass out of my knee that I didn't even know was there, you know, and um, and he was very critical for a long time and then I had to help nurse him back. Yeah, wow. And take him to all his medical appointments and, and the police was always left up to me because I was the strong one in the family. I had three brothers but they were gentler and... Julian was, of course, in the brothers by then, and uh, Terry was only young, and uh, he was the one that was injured. And uh, my other brother was a very gentle person, and that uh, I had to go and see the police and everything like that. It all fell on me, and uh, I was all right until about I went to see him one morning. I was on night duty. I was working full time, and. Went to see him and he regained consciousness a little bit, and that's when I went home and cried five days later. And that's how I've coped, yeah. I guess, with you know upsets. Yeah. And then when my marriage broke down, as I said, I just yeah. went back to work. But you've also dealt with it when it was the time to deal with it. You know, if you like, like with your oh, brother, yeah, you yeah. know, if it hits you, it hits you. You kind of deal with it, and then you get on with it. And you don't, and I, no, no. um, I, um. Eldest brother was diagnosed with a brain tumour, died at 49. I kind of had to hold his family together. Yeah. I was diagnosed with the MS just before that. And, uh, so you really... I you, was a junior yeah. and still, I was working full time. I was doing a degree and I was diagnosed with MS and then I just kept going and they tried to convince me to give up work and um, go on a disability pension maybe. Yeah. How old were you then? I was about 42, 43. Wow, okay. I couldn't do it. I was sitting in a chair and I thought, if I don't get out of this chair, I was yeah. going to wait on. That's it. And so how? So you were diagnosed with MS then. How did you then sustain 
work? Like, did that, did actually keeping active and continuing to work, do you believe that that's what? I honestly believed, and I used to teach you. it in nurses before that because when I was nursing, it didn't seem to be right that people were given this message of doom and gloom. Uh, like, if you had diabetes, you're going to have insulin all your life and you've got to stick to this diet. Mm. Basically, the person was taught to live with the disease, but my theory was, no, the disease can learn to live with me because I don't know. They tell me I could end up in a wheelchair. They don't know. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it the opposite way. And then if it catches up with me, at least I've tried. Wow. And I love that. And wow. I always saw the nurses is to look at the person, not the, because in those days patients in hospital was a, the hysterectomy or the fractured femur or the they knew more about the disorder than the, who the person was. And mm. our patients stayed in hospital for a long time in those days and got to know them. But, mm. but it was how was that particular person going to cope always? Kind that, of worried me a bit. Yeah, yeah. So you always came, and you know, th- there's a few things that I'm picking up, which is no surprise to me, Patricia, because I've known you for some time, and um, I, I suppose the things you've said um, uh, that you've been very determined. Um, you look at everything as glass very half resilient. full, if resilient. I, someone says something, and I felt a bit down. It lasts for about half an hour, and then and that's it. Move on. And move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm lucky I don't get depressed. Yeah. I just sort of think, oh, well, that's too bad. Yeah. Let's get on with it. I mean, you have a great sense of humour too. Like- <laughs> I do. <laughs> and, I used and- to have a terrible sense of humour. <laughs> and I was known for my quick wish, you know. If anybody said anything, I always had to come back. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What do you mean so you, you had terrible sense of humour? What do you mean? Like, Well, I suppose at times uh, I guess it's like probably nurses still and you'd see some terrible things but somehow you could get a laugh out of it. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it might sound a bit sick too. Now, for instance, I remember once when I was a fourth-year nurse, I worked on Christmas morning and three elderly people died and I had to lay them out and then I went home and had lunch. Yeah. You, know, you just had to learn to. You had to, yeah. You had to. Uh, yeah. You couldn't mm. sit there and dwell on it because you wouldn't have lasted mm. because we didn't have machines to help us with people. Mm. It had to be all basic nursing and so you just had to accept death as it was. And, yeah. Uh, Coming to 2010 is when you um, retired, yeah? Uh, no, 2001. Sorry, 2001. I, yeah, I finished work, but I sort of kind of had 12 months long service leave. Yeah. Well, like was that a big decision to make or was right timing? It was right timing. It was changing. It was going to universities. Um, and I was the sort of person, it sounds strange, I finish one thing and I close the door. And that, you know, I'm not denying something, but I close the door on it and move into the next chapter if I've got to change. I, yeah. Because when I had to leave midwifery, well, I didn't have to, could have gone to university with it, but I didn't want to do that because I had no input into the development of the student. 
you know, to get them to enrich it to midwives. Mm. And um, so I just sort of, I was very involved with midwifery. I was in, um, I was one of the first um, fellows at a midwifery college. And, but then I had to move on to something else. So I kind of closed it. Mm. Apartment. Well, this and then is... before I retired, I decided. Well, I already was sitting on the board. The Christian Brothers had the places uh, Waverley, and they asked me would I go and join the board, and I did. And I decided I was going to go and do work with Saint Vincent de Paul. So I had something that I mm. wanted to do. Yeah, but still very much in the helping. Yeah, situation. you still you you had something to transition into yeah, by I, way of I transitioned yeah. pretty well. You know, sort of thing. Mm. So, and, um, mm. and when I retired, I thought, oh, no. And, um, you know, I'd see things and I think, oh, it's nice to still be nursing. In fact, one of my friends suggested the other day they're looking for nurses that maybe I could go back. I'd be good at that. <laughs> Hang on, this <laughs> is like now. <laughs> <laughs> because they ring me up when they have problems and think I know it all. I was quite taken back. I said at 84, I think I might have done enough for the community. Wow. Can you see an 84-year-old nurse roaming around the wall? Because I'm the sort of person, if you needed me, you wanted me to stay up all night if there was a need, I could do it. Yeah. Uh, as if I don't have to do that, I go to bed and yeah. sleep sort of thing. But yeah. I'm just saying I could. You can stay if with I'm it. Doing very basic stuff. I couldn't yeah. do all the machines and everything. Um, it's incredible. You know, I wonder how much of your own wisdom and, you know, just that encouragement and kind of seeing things from, you know, a bigger picture, like because you said you've always been a planner that you can kind of stay focused on where you're going. Just how much of that would be, you know, appreciated by those who are just starting out and to have your story and your experiences shared in a way that helps helps whether it be med students or nurses to keep them grounded. You know, I mean, I know times are different, but still, I think it does help. I know at one stage I was asked to talk to medical students who were going to work out into the country and that, and I was asked by I was, um, and they were trying to get midri- midwifery into the. Country towns, mm. they asked me to go and speak to the matrons from all those regions, and I did mm-hmm. because I had tried to get midwifery out into the country long before they even started doing it. Mm. Because, um, when I was at Wright Hospital, um, I had no trouble getting students. could fill my places easily. Yeah. One of the attractions was there'd be a lot of country girls and it was a bit lot of trees and things, they'd like the area. But they'd gone out to the country towns and found out how difficult it was to work in those areas and they came back and decided to do midwifery mm. because before that I'd seen some country people come as they were a bit older to do midwifery and often their marriages fell apart because they were taken up with 12 months and separated. Yeah. Yep. And it didn't seem fair because there were a lot of people out there wanting to do it and uh, – Ah. I tried to set up a system with the students going out voluntary to work in a country hospital during their holidays or something yeah. just to see what it was like and this is registration board wouldn't let it happen. But the students were willing to do it for the experience. Yeah. But, uh, You're very forward thinking, Patricia. Very and, and open to like I'm a you great said, schemer. <laughs> You're a great schemer. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but but you're a great schemer for the greater good, right? Yes, yeah. people tell us. Like I remember once um, the, the midwifery section was trying to push for midwives to do a little bit more than they were allowed to do, like if the person needed a few sutures and things that they could be trained up to do that instead of waiting for hours for a doctor to come and things like that. And we had this meeting and um, I didn't say anything to anyone but I saw it, you know, and we answered questions and all the obstetricians attended and they were a bit reluctant. Mm. And so we went in the meeting and when everybody else had asked and I just said to them, you know, any team's as good as a member, you know, they all say yes, and I said, you do appreciate the midwives, and I said yes to everything. And then I asked them a few questions, and I said, well, it seems to me that you're quite ready to let the midwives do this. They couldn't say anything else but yes. Oh, that is clever. And then the next you, day you... came out, and I don't remember one time, you put it over us and sort of said. That is That's brilliant. Well, you know, you've... You acknowledge these people are very capable and never rely on them so much and everything. I just ask some simple questions. Yeah, yeah. You and kind they of got it through. You know? Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Wow. You've certainly done a lot for for nursing. Um, you've achieved you've achieved a lot, but you've often done it just by just by doing your work, you know. You didn't there was no rah rah in it. That's right. And I I found I could never I was never very good at, well, I was not so much not disciplined, but I learned very early that I couldn't uh, chastise them too much because they'd always break down in tears. And I remember the first nurse I ever reported, and it was this young student nurse, and she was terrible. Nice girl, but a terrible nurse. And... I was working in an infectious block, but I had the paediatric ward, and she picked up this baby and took me around to see all these people with infections. Oh, God. So I had no choice but to report it to the matron, and she came back and she gave me a present and thanked me. I was stunned because she didn't want to be a nurse, but her mother had pushed her into it, ah. and I'd helped her get out of it by reporting her. Yeah. And the yeah. matron rang her mother and. Yeah. Got her out of it and if I really went crook on somebody, they'd end up in tears and then patients would say, this is upset. I know it wouldn't be you that upset. Mm. (laughs) They always seemed to have a terrible reaction when I reprimanded them about anything. Mm. I never did it in front of anybody. I made my mind I was never going to do that to people and that's not – we received too much of that because – as a student, we weren't able to walk in through a door in front of a someone senior to us and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, what a what a life, Patricia! It's um, uh, it, it, you've had a very busy, active career, yeah. uh, active, yeah. active mum, and now you're also active. You know, you don't you're you're active in your day to day life. What you do, um, is there anything that you still kind of interested in doing that you haven't done or you're kind of quite happy with how things are in your life right now? I think more than happy and I've had to be because I think that's what's helped me cope with lockdown is that, you know, I 
knitters, you know, get in the garden or make cakes. Or, yes. And I'm happy, you know, just prodding along. Mm. Um, I kind of, you know, it's like all the works that's going around me, decide not to get upset by it because it's no good to be miserable. Yeah, this is the you work that's the, the highways and, yeah, yeah the tunnels. This is the situation tunnels. you're in. How do you make the best of this situation? And I'm, mm. So far I've been able to do that. Mm. Um, so accepting things, really, accepting that this is what's happening, what can I do about this? Yeah, yeah. just make the best situation out of it. Yeah. Know? Like I'm going to have to move out of my home soon when they tunnel underneath it and uh, yeah. I was planning to go up to Queensland but that doesn't look like that's going to happen so I just have to accept an alternative and move into a service department or something. But yeah. I'm quite convinced that I can see if it was in the city I could go for nice walks and I could do this. Yeah. I've already got a plan how I would cope with it. Okay. I don't sit down and say I'm going after this or I'm going after that but uh, – I think about the situation and think, yes, that's what I'll do when the time comes. Yeah. You, you have that clarity about how you want to proceed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And um, it's very it's very inspiring to hear how you stayed focused on the needs of a situation and stayed focused on what's important to you as well. I mean, I love that, that kind of determined but also schemey, to use your words, yeah, um, well, side of you. If I've had, I would only do that if I had to and I couldn't see another. I can always see a, a way around something, like regulations and everything. I knew what I could do without yeah. doing anything dangerous or anything. Like <laughs> yes, of course. I guess one of the biggest things I did was set up a, a mad head scheme in mental health and set up a work program for people with mental health um, when I was in management and uh, set up a farm. <laughs> a farm? Yes, yeah, so they were changing things and I again I tricked people into, um, <laughs> I don't know how, getting land at, at Gladeville Hospital, they were telling us that this was the, all the heavies were there and there was this tap said, well, this is the boundary. And I said, you don't expect anybody to believe that. Do you? Any fool can see that's a lawnmower mark, not a boundary. And they said, how much land do you want? I said, way over there and over. I said, what for? I said, a farm. And they said, well, got all sorts of buried under there. And I said, well, don't worry, we'll have above-ground gardens. We can move them any time you want them. Wow. Yeah, ran, wow. we ran a cafeteria and uh, Oh, wow. Um, uh, wow, that was your doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, took some terrible risks then. Yeah. Yeah. So not uh, scared to take. money outside of health very dangerously. Yeah. And yeah. Never afraid to take risks. Um, Patricia, thank you so much. Was there anything else that you wanted to share that you feel, especially for times that we're living in now, you know, restrictions, unable to do the things that we used to do and seeing you adapt like that, anything that you want to say on that for others? Not necessarily. I think I'm a very disciplined self I think probably what I learned in nursing is self-discipline mm. and I can make myself Take the line if I have to. Yeah. I think, no, I think always appreciate it. You never know what some other person 
has on their plate so you don't load them up with your problems sort of thing. You look at people and assume that everything's great for them and it may not be. So yeah. You can't make judge it. In other words, you have to be very non-judgmental. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to Susie Petrozzi's Empowered Conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe as episodes are released weekly. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, visit susiepetrozzi.com.